Hi everyone, welcome back to the History in 20 podcast, thanks for tuning in. So today this is a suggestion from my very good friend and housemate, Callum Richardson. So thanks very much for this one Callum, I've thoroughly enjoyed researching this one and today obviously we're talking about Attila the Hun. So as usual start off with a bit of a personal profile, get a bit of information about him. So he was born in circa 406 AD, that is or ACE after Common Era, whatever you prefer. Uh, and he reigned as King of the Huns or King and Chieftain of the Hunnic Empire from 434 to 453. And he died in circa March 453 and he was aged between 46 to 47 years old. So he wasn't actually very old uh, when he died at all, even for the standards of the time. So two main marriages, he was married to a woman called Craker and Ildiko amongst others. And he had children called Elak, Dinzigic and Ernak amongst others as well. So, start off with a bit of his early life and background context on the Huns. So, we're talking about circa 406 to circa 440. So, as is often the case with these historical characters who aren't often viewed as European or very Eurocentric in the context of their lifetimes, we, we actually often know very little about their early childhood. And I say this about Attila the Hun because his name literally denotes that the Hun a foreigner, a barbarian, someone who's deemed an outsider in contemporary Roman society. So for many Romans, the ideology was very much us versus them. So Attila was one of these Huns, the foreigners. So what we do know, though, is that Attila was born roughly around the year 406 AD. Now, the 5th century was a tumultuous period for the Western Roman Empire as a whole. So only four years after Attila's birth, in 410, Rome would be sacked by the Goths, yet Attila was, wasn't the first of his name, actually, like Genghis Khan was almost a thousand years after. But uh, the Huns had actually emerged as a major force in the 370s, but surprisingly, they'd actually often more assisted the Roman Empire than assailed it. So they were typically seen as the defenders of the borders of the Western Roman Empire, because the Huns lived in the Balkans, which was almost halfway between the Western and Eastern Empire's borders. So if you're not familiar with the Balkans, the Balkans are sort of an area... Now that's kind of what was Yugoslavia, like Kosovo, Montenegro, Serbia, that sort of area of uh, southeastern Europe. Uh, so both Attila and his brother Bleda became joint rulers of, rulers of the Huns in 434. And Attila was described by contemporaries as born into the world to shake nations, the scourge of all lands. Uh, now Attila was the more powerful of the two brothers. And if you want a contemporary description of his appearance, he's been described as short, swarthy and snub-nosed, with a thin, straggling beard and beady little eyes, as well as the fact that his rolling eyes and alarming appearance terrified all who crossed his path. But despite this, as a leader, a Hun contemporary actually denoted that Attila was also said to be restrained in action, mighty in counsel, gracious to suppliants and lenient to those who were received into his protection. Yet another Roman writer referred to the Huns as the seedbed of evil and exceedingly savage. So I think it's fair to say that he was a pretty interesting guy, to say the least. So the next section we'll discuss is the uh, leadership and early conflicts. So circa 440 to circa 451. So in 440, with the leadership united uh, under Attila and Bleda, the Hunnic Empire stretched from the Black Sea to the Baltic and from Germany to the Central Asian steppes. And the Huns were only just getting started on moving west. So it's already a big, formidable force in this empire. So the following year, in 441, Attila invaded the Eastern Roman Empire and made an absolute mockery of their resistance. So an interesting fact to look at is that the Huns were actually the first 
quotes, barbarian force to work out how to storm well-defended fortress towns like those in the Eastern Roman Empire. And the secret behind it was actually by using siege engines, battering rams and scaling ladders, which were techniques they directly copied from the Romans. But regardless of this, it had worked and the Huns succeeded. And the effects of these attacks can still be seen in the massive destruction layers evident um, throughout sort of various archaeological sites in Central Europe to this day. So two years later, in 443, Attila brought his forces over to the walls of Constantinople, but the Emperor Theodosius, who was behind the walls of Constantinople, managed to bribe the Huns, which was a tactic that was used throughout the Hunnic invasions under Attila. Uh, he managed to bribe them to withdraw from the walls with huge sums of cash. So obviously that went to funding more raids and the like. So by either 444 or 445, Attila had his brother and co-ruler, Blader, murdered. So very few sources exist regarding this, and it's not surprising. I mean, who'd want to enrage Attila by writing about murdering his brother or accusing him of murdering his brother? And who'd want to get on the wrong side of him? So that's generally as a real why so very few sources exist on this. But anyway, following the death of his brother, Attila took the leadership into his reign. So he expanded his territory further east. And he started with a second sweep through the Balkans and on to Constantinople. And again, he tried to conquer Constantinople, Constantinople but he was bribed to withdraw once more. Now this bribery from Theodosius soon came to an end with Theodosius's militaristic successor, Marcion, who reigned from 450 to 57, who refused to pay further bribes and drove the Huns from his territory altogether. Now upon Attila's banishment from the walls of Constantinople in the winter of 450 to 51, the one that got away in Attila's case, he made his way west across Europe to Gaul, which is generally seen as modern-day France, and this is where the fun really begins, I suppose. So the final little section is uh, well called the Final Battles and Death, which is circa 451 to 53. So as you've probably guessed already, the major events in Attila's life came in the years immediately preceding his death. So as I just mentioned, he crossed Europe into Gaul, and it was here that he met the largest European force amounted up to that date. So working together, the Western Roman Emperor Aetius, a Roman general called Flavius, or Flavius, and a Visigothic king, Theodoric I, amassed an army of Romans, Franks, Goths, Burgundians and Celts to confront the Huns. And it was what they all saw as a collective threat to the Roman Empire. Now the historian Simon Jenkins actually states that it was the first time a coalition of Roman and barbarian armies had combined to take the field against an external foe, or what we come to call the first European army. Which shows again how much of a threat Attila was if like all these groups who'd fought for centuries decide to actually amalgamate together to defeat their one common enemy. Shows how much of a threat he actually was. So the ensuing battle took place on the 20th of June, 451, um, on the Catalonian Plains, which is hence the name of the battle, the Battle of the Catalonian Plains, which is near modern-day Chalon or Orleans. Now at the battlefield, the coalition of forces was decisively victorious against Attila's forces, now, interestingly, this was also the last great set-piece battle in which the Western Roman army would fight, and it was the Visigoths who played the decisive role in the fighting, although this was according to an admittedly pro-Gothic contemporary, and they ultimately secured a Roman victory. But it wasn't all good news, because the Visigothic king, Theodoric I, who organised this, uh, were killed in the battle, and it was either by a spear or by being trampled to death. <clears throat> so, excuse me, not an ideal way for him to go out. Now, Attila had never before suffered such serious defeat in his lifetime up until this point, and he actually realised that if he was to main con maintain control of his empire, staying put at home and licking his wounds just wasn't an option. 
So the next year in 452, he began his next campaign. So Aetius, the Roman emperor, was still in Gaul. So Attila returned from his base in the Balkans and made his way straight for Italy because what he wanted was the holy city at the time. He wanted Rome. Now the city of Aquila was destroyed after a terrible siege and then Milan was taken up in northern Italy. And the inhabitants of the northeastern Veneto region of Italy feared what Attila's army would do to them. So they sought refuge from the Huns in the sporadically occupied islands of the coastal lagoon. And as a result, Venice was born. So Simon Jenkins says, Europe has Attila to thank for its most glorious possession. Which is a really interesting thing, I thought. But yeah, so uh, the reason why Attila never managed to actually take Rome, though, is often credited to Pope Leo I who's often known as Leo the Great, and he reigned from 440 to 461. Now, the most popular version of this story is that Leo joined a deputation and met Attila on the banks of the Minico River near Lake Garda to persuade him to retreat to the Danube River, and the Huns then consolidated their settlement in what is now Hungary. <laughs> so if you've ever wondered where the name for that comes from, there you are. Now, this version is likely to be true, but I personally prefer another version because you question a few of the elements of it as to why, like, for example, Attila this fearsome and determined pagan leader would simply obey the Pope. So a man who's got no meaning to him, the title and office of the Pope doesn't mean anything to a guy who's clearly a pagan and not a Christian of any sort. Now, there are various theories surrounding this when we pose the question of why Attila would obey the Pope. Um, one option is a substantial amount of money like Theodosius offered him in the 440s in Constantinople. That's a likely theory, but also that Attila, like the majority of the Huns, was incredibly superstitious. So if you've ever seen Knight at the Museum, you know that, I can't think of his name, but Ben Stiller, his character actually like surprises Attila, doesn't he, with a magic trick and that. So that's playing on the fact that these Huns and a lot of their forebearers were very superstitious. So this theory stems from the fact that Leo may well have reminded him about how the Gothic leader Alaric, you know, when I remembered, I mentioned, sorry, the sack of Rome in 410, that was done under the Gothic leader Alaric. So Leo might have mentioned the sack of Rome in 410, how a similar fate was known to occur to every invader who almost who dared to raise their hand against the city of Rome because Alaric died almost immediately after the sack of Rome. So that was one theory that might have shaken Attila a bit. And another, which is probably the likeliest theory, is that his subjects themselves persuaded him to retire. So for instance, after all the devastation they caused the countryside in their campaigns, they were beginning to suffer from a serious shortage of food and that disease had also broken out in their ranks as well. So by the time this was all deliberated, news arrived to Attila that troops from the Eastern Roman Empire in Constantinople were beginning to arrive to supplement the imperial forces in the West. So a march on Rome, on Rome, it appeared, might not have been quite as straightforward as Attila initially thought. So either way, Attila's forces retreated. And the following year, in 453, Attila was celebrating his marriage to a Gothic princess called Ildico. And the Roman contemporary Priscus described the events of Attila's wedding feast and he said that celebrating excessively, Attila lay down on his back, sodden with wine and sleep, and in the process, is believed to have suffered a brain hemorrhage and died in his sleep. Thus, continues Priscus, drunkenness brought a shameful end to a king who'd won glory in war. So the last little section is on Attila's legacy in the future of the Huns, which I've sort of cut down to circa 453 to circa 475. So as Attila's lifeblood flowed away from him, Europe once again breathed a sigh of relief. So for his funeral, a specially selected group of captives placed his body in three coffins, one made of gold, one made of silver, and one made of iron. And the Roman historian Jordan states why. Because he says gold and silver because he received the honours of both the Eastern and Western Roman empires, and iron because he subdued the nations. 
So once Attila's body had been lowered into the ground and covered over, first with the rich spoils of war and then with earth until the ground above the grave was level, all of those who were involved in the burial ceremonies were put to death and this was so that Attila's last resting place would remain secret and inviolate forever. So again, it shows what a legacy he had that to this day we don't actually know where he's buried. Um, but yeah, the I mean, speaking about the Hunnic Empire, that almost as quickly as it had sprung up, it disintegrated almost straight away in the aftermath of Attila's death because the Huns were dependent upon Attila's authority. And according to the historian David Potter, upon his death, the Hunnic Empire collapsed in civil war in 454, so a year after he died. Now this was because the many Germanic peoples who Attila had once held in thrall rose up against their masters and defeated them in another huge battle in the central Balkans, the site of which is now unfortunately lost. But the Huns withdrew to the north, to Hungary, and then resumed their role as occasional mercenaries in Roman service. Yet despite Attila's defeat, the Hun invasion reinforced what Alaric's invasion 40 years prior to Attila's had shown, that the new Europe was vulnerable to forces sweeping west across its central plains. And another legacy of this ideology is that many Roman citizens instead sought refuge in fortified towns rather than in the distant hope of these huge imperial armies where they gave allegiance to any leader who would offer them security. So as a result, empire gave way to kingdoms. And uh, still nothing could bring peace to battered Italy. So in 475, a Roman official named Orestes, who had served in Attila's retinue years earlier, he seized power in Ravenna and appointed his 15-year-old son Romulus as emperor. The following year, in 476, Romulus was ousted by a Roman soldier of Germanic origin called Flavius Odoacer, who did not bother with emperorship, but instead took the title of King of Italy, with his capital situated in Ravenna. And accordingly, actually, the year 476 is generally, well, it's usually seen as the year of the formal demise of the Roman Empire, although obviously the Eastern Roman Empire survived for almost another millennium in the form of Byzantium. So uh, to sum up Attila the Hun, I'll turn to the words of one of my particular favourite historians, the late, great John Julius Norwich. And he said, he was not a great ruler or even a particularly able general, but so overmastering were his ambition, his pride and his lust for power that within the space of a few years he had made himself feared throughout the length and breadth of Europe, more feared perhaps than any other single man, with the possible exception of Napoleon, before or since. So it's a bit of a short one today, but hope you enjoyed it anyway. And feel free to subscribe and share this with any friends and family and I'll catch you on the next one. See you next time.